Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Soleil Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. And at the buzzer, we are all set up and ready to go on this Monday, September 12th, on Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos. Pretty good weekend this weekend as far as Pittsburgh fans go. I gotta say, this was not an intro- great introductory weekend into Wisconsin sports for me. The teams played well enough, but there wasn't a whole lot of victory going on, at least in the football world, this weekend. I'm joined by Landon Moore today. Landon, how are you? Well, could be better, Ben. I mean, as you mentioned, not a great uh, football weekend for us Wisconsin sports fans, but uh, it's a long season, and uh, both the Badgers and Packers have a long way to go, so hopefully uh, they'll uh, be a lot better next weekend. Yeah, I mean, we had this discussion on Friday, and I said um, this is feels like, at least for the Packers, I grew up with a very good friend who was a Packers fan, so despite growing up in Pittsburgh, I know my Packers history, and... Uh, that year, whenever Jordy Nelson was in the prime of his career and he went down and like the only receiver Green Bay had was Randall Cobb, it was a rough year for Aaron Rodgers. And I yes. said, this feels very reminiscent of that day. So, yep. or that year rather. So hopefully they can turn it around. I mean, I'm sure Lazard missing, Lazard missing and all that hurt. Obviously you have your rookie getting hit in the hands 70 yards down the field. Uh, left a lot of things to be desired. But like you said, it's only week one. They started out this way last week too. Yep, that's right. And uh, rather. yes, and uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, very thin at the receiving position, but uh, hopefully they'll get Lazard back pretty soon here and uh, getting you know guys like uh, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, the two rookies involved in the offense, would be uh, certainly a benefit to Aaron Rodgers and company. So uh, hopefully they can turn things around. Uh, they are taking on the Bears next weekend in the home opener. So uh, uh, it should be another uh, tough test in terms of the defense, but uh, we'll have to see. Hopefully they can uh, get, get the win and even the record. And see, a loss there, by my estimation, should be a little more concerning than... To me, Minnesota is a really good team this year. I'm a big Kirk Cousins fan. Their offense is stacked. I don't know a lot about their defense, but that offense is going to be hard to stop. I think, quite frankly, the fact that Green Bay held them down as well as they did is a testament to their defense. Chicago, on the other hand, is a different story. I have no respect for them whatsoever. (laughs) I realize it's a divisional game and anything can happen in a divisional game. Pittsburgh just beat Cincinnati. That shouldn't have happened. But I'm saying if they lose to Chicago, you have an issue. Now you're 0-2 in the division in Chicago. Trash franchise, not very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, yeah, if they do lose to the Bears next week, that is cause for concern. You know, dropping 0-2, like you said, two divisional losses right away, not a good look. Uh, so hopefully uh, they'll come out a lot better next week, and uh, hopefully Matt LaFleur will have the guys prepared a lot better than they were yesterday. Do you know is it a home game this time? It is, Okay, yes. great. Well, 
Despite nothing good happening for the Packers uh, this Sunday, some good things were happening over the weekend at Lambeau. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so more than 2,000 people climbed the Lambeau Field stairs to honor the 343 firefighters who died as a result of the September 11th terrorist attacks. When climbers reached the 78th floor level, the highest point reached by firefighters in the Twin Towers, they rang a memorial bell and read the name of a fallen firefighter. Green Bay Fire Chief David Litton tells Action 2 News that firefighters demonstrated multiple heroic qualities that day. They were charging up. Everybody else was running down, and I think that just shows unbelievable courage, unbelievable um, compassion, unbelievable dedication. And every time I hear that bell, um, I know it signifies one of the FDNY members that, uh, that perished that day. Proceeds from the climb went to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, which supports families of fallen firefighters. The event raised more than $150,000. And Ben, it's hard to believe that it's been 21 years already since that tragic day. And uh, I was only four years old when it happened. I know you were a little older. So uh, do you remember anything specifically about that day? So I was actually uh, about a week away from turning 14 at the time. I was in eighth grade. And I remember very vividly taking a vocabulary test in Miss Hennon's English class that I had hadn't prepared for and my social studies teacher came running in most panicked quite frankly I'd ever seen a teacher in my life because you know you almost look at your teachers as not human whenever you're in school you know what I mean yep and uh seeing that very human reaction come out of him was very jarring we shut the test down right there we all turned our TVs on heck about a third of the kids uh at the high school I went to got picked up um from school just because the parents didn't know what was coming next so it was a it was a pretty crazy day, even though we weren't necessarily old enough to really grasp what was happening at the time. You knew just from the reaction of adults everywhere what was going on. And I think especially for you being in Pennsylvania, I mean, th thinking about Flight 93 and where that happened. I mean, not too far away from Pittsburgh. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I actually I went to go check out that memorial both whenever it was kind of like a makeshift one for about a decade when it was literally people leaving things to commemorate their loved ones and things like that and that was and then they actually built a real one that i went down and visited um it's a heck of a memorial it is very freaky just to be that close to something like that happening i mean they made a movie i can't imagine what was going through their minds whenever they did that uh whenever the i mean the story is they rushed the the pilot there and took the plane down themselves which is just an absolutely courageous moment you want to know a crazy stat as well we're as far away from 9-11 right now as we would be in 1980 september 11th 1980 so you go 21 years into the past from 9-11 it would take you to 1980 so that's how long it's been wow that's crazy to think about <laughs> yeah it, it really blows your mind whenever you look at it through that lens but that's an awesome. Uh, that's an awesome charity. I was on. I was unfamiliar with that. This is the first I'd heard about that. Yep. Was over this the is weekend. an annual thing. I believe this was the tenth year they've done that at Lambeau. So uh, every year, just honoring those firefighters. Yeah, that's that's fantastic stuff. Um, on the lighter side of things here, it looks like a certain business in the area is actually making a little bit of bounce back since COVID. That's right. So hotels in the Fox Cities are having a banner year. Convention and Visitors Bureau Director Pam Seidel says room revenues are on a record pace for 2022. That may come back a little, but with, with the inflation and the, and the pressures, especially with workforce, I see that revenue continuing at those levels. But we're well above 2019, which was a record-setting year for room tax and trending very well. Hotel room revenues in the Fox Cities were just, saw, uh, just shy of $12 million through July. 
So uh, Ben, as uh, uh, Seidel mentioned there, uh, they've set the record in 2019, which was the year before uh, COVID-19 arrived. So uh, definitely seems like uh, people are more comfortable traveling, more comfortable staying in hotel rooms now that uh, COVID-19, at least the pandemic portion, is uh, pretty much behind us. Well, honestly, taking the stats you just presented there, it looks like this is beyond just getting over COVID because if the record were set in 2019, this shows that this is becoming a little bit of a destination uh, for hotel stays. It is. And uh, you and I were talking off air earlier, and it it would be interesting had COVID-19 not hit, it'd be interesting to see what the... Uh, numbers would have been for 2020 and 2021 if if that trend would have continued upward um, or not. But uh, it's uh, obviously very encouraging to see that, you know, numbers are right where they were three years ago, again, uh, pre-COVID. Exactly. I mean, what, what, what did I say on Friday? I think 90,000 attendants showed up for Mile of Music. I mean, that alone. Look look at the infrastructure here that you have for hotel stays. Like, that's a crazy number yes. of people. And, and that's uh, just one event. Yes. And EAA AirVenture also setting a record year for attendance in 2022. So, uh, yeah, definitely great, great sign that uh, people are getting back out and, uh, uh, you know, just attending events and staying in hotels and uh, being more comfortable out and about. Yeah, I'm, I know hotels were one of the industries that were really worried about coming back just because let's be honest, you're sharing rooms with people that came before you, you know what I mean? Yes. At a time when social distancing was at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, hotels is kind of the opposite of what you're looking for with that. So yep. good for them. Um, that's fantastic news. On to some not so fantastic news. You have a story here that's uh, you're trying to get my head to explode. Why don't you go <laughs> ahead and talk about that one? Yeah, so property taxes could be going up by double digits next year in Oshkosh. WHBY's Jonathan Krause tells us why. Oshkosh Finance Director Russ Van Gompel says that before any additional spending is considered in the 2023 city budget, the property tax levy is poised for an increase of more than 10 percent. We're looking at a potential levy of close to 11 percent. The city manager and the finance director knows that that's probably not a very acceptable increase to you. Negotiated wage increases with a number of the city's unions, higher health insurance premiums and more debt repayment are the main causes of the tax levy hike. The Oshkosh Common Council will hold its annual budget sessions next month. In Oshkosh, Jonathan Krause, WHBY News. So uh, not good news there if uh, you are living in Oshkosh, but uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, of course, uh, a lot of uh, factors in, into that, but uh, uh, obviously, uh, you know, as we talked about last week, too, with uh, health insurance possibly going up for City of Oshkosh employees, now this affects the entire city, so... Uh, more uh, more uh, coming out of the uh, pocketbooks, if you will, for Oshkosh residents, potentially. All right. couple things here. One, do you, are you familiar? Do you know what the property taxes were are at in Oshkosh? Like, are they exceptionally low compared to the rest of the country? Or uh, is there... Not not at the top of okay, my head, Okay, no. so I only found out, Landon and I discussed what we're going to do roughly like 20 minutes before we come on, which stories we're going to pick. I was unfamiliar with this story. I'm going to be doing a deep dive into this tomorrow. To me, personally, Landon, and like you don't you feel free if you don't want to comment on this to me property taxes are kind of a scam like we're, we're increasing the cost of houses we're, we're telling you we're running out of money for social security you're going to hear about people who have retired paid off their houses losing their houses because they can't afford the property taxes on something they already own yeah that's just and then to for uh who was the gentleman who was speaking in the clip uh, russ van goppel their finance director to say well this might not be acceptable it's beyond non-acceptable like 11 <laughs> percent. again i don't know if the numbers were low i am an advocate for taxes um as long as there's accountability and the money's spent the right way but geez oh man an 11 percent increase in one year is just 
crippling to some people. I can't have so many people are on a fixed income. That's just wild to me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, for some families that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's going to be very tough to afford. So, uh, I mean, obviously they hope that 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 won't be the case, but, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Ah, well, uh, I actually will have coming up here in the nine o'clock hour, the libertarian candidates for, uh, the house of representatives, Jacob, Jacob Vandenplas. He, uh, is running on significantly less taxes. So it'll be interesting to talk to him, pick his brain on that story you just reported there. That'll be coming up in just about 20 minutes here, so be sure to stay tuned for that. That's going to be a fantastic interview. Landon, thank you so much for all the information. Ended on a little bit of a downer, but it was good stuff today. I appreciate it very much, and uh, have a good rest of your day, all right? You as well, thanks. All right, thank you. All right, guys, we're just getting started here. Whenever we come back, I'm going to set up my interview here with uh, Mr. Vandenplass as well as what else we have going on for the rest of the show. You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Cominos here on AM 1150 WH. You know, the name of this song is Good Day. I'm sure a lot of us here aren't having a good day sports-wise trying to pick the mood up though to the best of my ability look Steelers fans and Green Bay fans are very similar people Steelers won Sunday but the writing's on the wall this season is not going to be pretty I don't think for either of us at least we can commiserate together though it's all about finding that local angle right Steelers fans and Green Bay fans coming together on the fact that we expect better Anyone who's listening who's a Minnesota fan, though, congratulations. I've always been a Kirk Cousins fan myself. I liked him more in uh, Washington, personally. Like, the you like that? Yeah, Kirk Cousins, I, I really liked him at that at that particular moment of his career. Uh, he has been a little bit of a bust. I think if he, he would have went to a better franchise, he would have turned out a lot better than he did on Minnesota. No offense to Minnesota fans. You don't necessarily have a big legacy or history of winning there, though. Um... <laughs> Just saying. Uh, in any event, we're going to go quick here. We went a little long with Landon, but uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, uh, Jacob Vandenplas, he's running for the uh, House of Representatives 8th District, that's this district, as a libertarian candidate. Um, there's obviously room for everybody on my show here, but you'll notice a lot whenever I'm speaking into the ether or to you guys calling. Um, I'm not big on the two-party system that we have here. Uh I think there's a lot of dancing around the subjects, um, a lot of choreographed question and answers, things like that. On this show, you're not going to get conversations like that. On Outside the Box, you're going to get genuine back and forth. Uh, I spoke to Jacob briefly uh, on Friday while we were setting up the interview, but I did not provide any questions ahead of time. We just gave a general overview of what the conversation was going to be about, and he said, fantastic, we'll speak at 10 after 9. He's actually, he's working his nine to five. He's taking some time off to call me during his job. So I genuinely appreciate that. Very excited to talk to him and give everyone a little bit of an idea of what the Libertarian Party is about. I mean, honestly, I describe myself as a lowercase l libertarian. Uh, progressive libertarian is even how I say it sometimes. Um, and I can go more into what that means on the other side of our conversation. But... I do think it's good to get these kind of ideas out into the public sphere. We need to be talking about it, because let's be honest, I think one thing we can agree on politically is we're not very happy with the way things are currently working, right? So 
about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we're going to get that conversation started. I think we'll learn a ton of things. It'll be very interesting to find out. Beyond that, on the other side of the interview, we have a couple of other stories, including more turmoil from the feedback from Queen Elizabeth's deaths. Uh, I said on Friday, I need everyone to try and, you know, remain somewhat respectful. And a professor from CMU just said, hold my beer. We're going to break down what she said and a certain billionaire's response to what she said, which I find very interesting. Uh, we also have a couple of reactions to casting decisions in the Lord of the Rings and Ariel and a Little Mermaid movie that blow my mind. But we can talk about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Cominos here on WHPY. You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office. Call Peter Harbaugh or Sarah Kahn's at 920-250-9959 for your elder law and estate planning needs. That's Hooper Law Office providing a pathway to your legacy. All right, I've been very excited for this conversation that we're going to have all weekend. As I was setting up before the break, the way this country operates, even though it's not explicitly said, is we essentially have two parties controlling this country. Most of us are pretty upset with how both of them are handling it. There are third-party options out there, and I think a lot of people are unaware of the options that exist, and that's the point of this show. So with that kind of information, I would like to introduce introduce Jacob Vandenplas, uh, running for District 8 House of Representatives as the Libertarian candidate. Uh, Jake, how are you today, my friend? Uh, a little cold, a little wet, but we're alive and on top of the ground, so I definitely appreciate you having me on. Oh, sure thing, sure thing. We were just talking about uh, before the break, you know, even ticks and other animals with, with brains the size of a peanut know to avoid the rain, yet here we all are hopping in our cars going to work. It's fantastic. It's, I don't all know right. if fantastic is the right <laughs> word, but it's the decisions we've made, right? <laughs> Uh, that's what the old saying for the pulled post office is rain, snow, or shine, we'll be there all the time. Ah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, let's just dive right into it here. Uh, as I mentioned, you're running for the House of Representatives as the Libertarian candidate, and we can dive into what being a Libertarian means and all that in good time. Uh, but why don't we just get started here? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, family life, where you were born and raised, things like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was born and raised in a little town called Abrams, Wisconsin, the uh, hometown of Bob Wickman, famous pitcher. Uh, I served 13 years in the Wisconsin Army National Guard with two tours in Iraq. Uh, and currently, I drive truck for uh, Feral Gas. I live in Propane all over Door County. And I also have a small nonprofit organization, uh, DC Farm for Vets, where we train veterans on how to grow produce and, and live sustainably. Uh, that's the cornerstone of the Libertarian Party is to actually be serving your community instead of just preaching about serving your community. So uh, it's a really fun program, and we're very excited for that, and we're very excited for the congressional run we've got going here and and uh, running all over the congressional district talking to people about liberty and how that's the answer for uh, the future of America. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you on, on that sentiment. And honestly, I love the sound of that uh, nonprofit conversation that you're doing there. Honestly, I feel like you should stretch that out beyond veterans. I think all of us could learn. I don't know word one about what I'm doing out there, but I think that's a skill that all of us are going to need the further uh, these supply shortages go, to say the least. Um, exactly, exactly. And, and that's, 
you know, I just look back at, you know, my grandparents, both my grandpas uh, living inside the city limits of Green Bay had to have gardens because back in the 50s, uh, they didn't make enough money to feed their families year round. They had to garden. Then you get to my dad's generation. He gardened because he wanted to um, because he could. It wasn't necessarily a necessity. But uh, we get to this year's gen- to my generation, and that's simply a lost art. Uh, we want to give that back, and we want to be able to uh, try to help put a dent in the veteran suicide. That's a big, big thing for me, uh, for the farm, for my congressional run. Uh, we are uh, dropping numbers, so we're no longer at the 22 a day or 20 a day. We are now officially down to 17.6 veterans per day that still commit suicide. So we are trending in the right direction, but we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, we've seen how our government has, has broken this nation's warriors and abused our nation's youth. And I want to do everything that I can to try to repair that. Uh, I'll tell you what, Jake, uh, we, as I as I told the listeners, uh, we did not plan anything we were going to talk about here. And that is literally the next question that I had for you. We're going to talk about um, because honestly, I want to get into your platform and what libertarian actually means for people that may not be aware of, of how that party works. This is yeah. in platform, though. This is. This is something that just should be happening, in, in, in my estimation. Um, you do a lot about talking about mental health within people in the armed services. You said just this year you've lost four members um, of the group that you were with. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, that was, it wasn't a suicide. That was more the economic issues. That was uh, the big thing. We started off with about 10 veterans this spring, had a whole growing uh, plant uh, schedule set out and ready to rock and roll. And as the worse and worse the economy got, uh, some of these individuals that were able to uh, participate had to pick up second jobs or third jobs. Um, so it's making it really, really difficult. And one of the biggest things that we're running into is the availability of farm property, uh, affordable farm property. Sure. Um, just just my farm up here in Door County, when we purchased it six years ago, it was valued at $297,000. Currently, that's it's being priced out or estimated at roughly around four hundred and seventy thousand. There you go. So if you are an, an individual who's trying to start up their own farm uh, from nothing, from scratch, it's uh, it's really difficult. So every time you get a piece of property, a tractor, you're talking you're half a million dollars in. That puts you puts you in the position of having to work a full time job before coming home to work a full time job farming, and it's exhausting. And, and if we don't have farmers, um, we're not going to have food. And I have also a firm belief that the way we do produce food in this country uh, not only damages the, the environment because we're not taking care of our soil, it's also not the highest quality food that we used to have. Uh, we've seen our produce over the last 100 years lose about 50% of its nutritional value, which is actually creating something called a Class B uh, poverty. So you have enough food, but that food doesn't have enough nutrients in it to actually sustain life. So we're running into some other issues with our current growing practices, and that's that's a big part of my platform as well, is taking a look at our current agricultural practices and how it's subsidized by the federal government versus allowing it to function within the free market. Uh, Wisconsin has a lot of dairy farmers right now, and the little farmers are getting squeezed up by the big farms. And one of the things that we can do is actually let these small-time dairy farmers sell directly to their customers through unpasteurized milk. Uh, that is something that could help uh, revive the small farms here in Northeast Wisconsin and across the United States of America. 
Now, I find it very interesting that you talk about that. So I'm coming here from Pittsburgh. I've actually only lived in Appleton for the last three weeks. So I very much am just getting acclimated to the environment here. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, I'd say about one of my best friends back home, his dad retired. He wasn't farming uh, for his primary source of income. However, he started a small organic farm in his 60s just to kind of pass the time. And he informed me that small farms the size of his don't even see 10% of the big uh, subsidies that the government hands out. Over 90% of them end up going to big ag. Like just like any other industry, there's two or three farm companies that are doing over 90% of the business. And that's where a lot of the money is being shoveled. Are you seeing a similar trend out here? Or is that what you're talking about whenever you talk about subsidies and funding farming and things like that? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. But in Wisconsin, we see that more with the dairy industry than we do with the vegetables and other uh, other cash crops and stuff like that. Um, we every time that we see government get involved in any kind of industry, it's the government's way of picking winners and losers, and that's what ends up opening up the door to our politicians being bought. And that's what has to stop. Uh, the government's not supposed to be uh, in charge of of controlling businesses. And uh, it's tearing apart the country. Uh, that, along with uh, other other uh, current platforms that we have seen across uh, other political uh, things, not just agriculture, but a lot of times that we're seeing right now is regulations is portrayed as is being put in place for uh, a customer protections, and it's really not. It's a more more often than not, the major uh, major organizations use regulation to actually protect their own business entities, which, which doesn't allow smaller businesses and competitions to be able to, or competitors to get started off, which is what we are exactly seeing in the agricultural industry. It's a lot to try to get a farm started up, which means the market, the bigger market share goes to the bigger farms. And uh, we have to start reducing that. And we can reduce that by reducing regulations and allowing smaller organizations to actually compete. I I love the sentiment there. Let me ask you this. Um, You clearly are fed up with the the two-party system. You're upset with the regulations in place. You think those are a lot of what's holding back the smaller businesses, not just farmers, but across the nation. Farming is is your specific expertise, but quite frankly, what you're saying, I think, could be copied and pasted across dozens of industries. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not specific to anything. Um, Absolutely. So... Why, in your estimation, so you know as well as I do, running as a third-party candidate is going to be an uphill battle. So why would you, in essence, run as a, as a Libertarian Party member instead of, let's say, run as a, as a Republican with your platform just to gain kind of the, uh, the, the notoriety, the backing? I'm not saying that the actual RNC would go behind you, but I think as far as voters and listeners go, they might tend to listen to a Republican or Democrat just based on history I'm not even saying it's right. I'm just saying that's just how we are. Why yeah. go the third party route? Because this is you're just adding more work to yourself, right? Absolutely. And everything worthwhile is always going to take a lot of work. Um, I'm actually brought back to a famous quote by John F. Kennedy. It says, we do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right. And this country was founded to be a constitutional republic. We no longer have that. Okay. These two parties forces us into a democracy, which is very, very polarizing by nature. Okay? And neither party, as much as they claim to want to drive unity, they have absolutely zero interest in unifying the country. 
Medicare. They have a vested interest with their 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 campaign donations. Uh, they have a vested interest in keeping this country divided because that's what helps drive their fund. Uh, running as a libertarian doesn't have a Republican or Democratic uh, message. It has a, a self-governance message. Okay, we we believe in self-governance, and with self-governance, everybody wins. And we can actually unify the country behind that. We don't have to sit and argue back and forth over policies as long as we only have two main principles in the Libertarian Party. Okay, we have a non-aggression principle, an NAP, so you can't use violence or the threat of violence to force your political views on anybody. And then two, you must have consent. So as long as you're not forcing forcing on anybody and as long as you have consent, we don't really care how you live your life, either independently or within a community. So that's a winning message. That's how we unify the country is essentially living your life free and independent, protecting self-governance, even for those that you disagree with. Self-governance is key. And that's what we're going to be able to utilize to to actually bring the country back together. That's I'm saying very firmly in that. Uh, I could not do that running with as a Republican or as an independent. Uh, if I did run as a Republican or a Democrat, I should say, sure, uh, sure, I wouldn't be getting their, their, I wouldn't get their party support. So I would be in the same boat that I am in right now. But I actually have more support uh, with the Libertarian Party, and we are growing. I'm also the state chairman as well uh, for the Libertarian Party, of the state of Wisconsin, and we are gaining numbers literally every single day. Uh, we have finances and resources to work with for our candidates. Um, obviously, we're still somewhat new to the game with getting established. I mean, we uh, the two major parties have over 100 years of building their infrastructure above us, but we are 50 years old this year, and we are growing like crazy, and I'm very, very excited to try to bring uh, libertarianism and liberty back to the forefront. Self-governance is is the way, to, uh, the way of the future here. I, I believe that. I will stand firmly on that, and I will continue to argue that until uh, I'm no longer able to do so. Good stuff, Jake. Hey, I'll tell you what, we're running up against a break here, and we haven't even started diving into your uh, to your platform yet here. Do you have some time <laughs> to stick around, and uh, we'll uh, we'll handle that on the other side of the break? Sound good to you? Sounds good to me. I'll be right here. All right, sounds good. Hey, guys, keep on listening. We're, this conversation's just getting started. Lots of good information here. I'm excited to see where the conversation goes from here. Um, sit tight. We'll be back just after the break. All right, we're back. We're in the middle of having a great conversation here with House of Representatives candidate, candidate Jacob Vandenbloss for the 8th District Libertarian candidacy. Um, anyone who would like to join in on the conversation, whether while I have the candidate here with me or after the fact, everyone is welcome to join in. That's 920-281-1150. That's 920-281-1150. Now, just a heads up, I don't have anyone in here answering phones with me, so if you do call, I'm just going to put you on hold at first. Don't panic. We will be getting you on the air. So that's 920-281-1150. Um, Jake, thank you for sticking around here. We're gonna, we're, we uh, learned a little bit about you there in the first segment. Now we're going to learn a little bit about what you stand for here in the second segment. Um 
Excellent. Yeah, so I basically just ran down your platform, and for the record, anybody listening, you can find any of this information I'm talking about. It's at jakeliberty2022.com backslash platform, jakeliberty2022. So all this information is there. I found it very interesting. I mean, obviously, no two people are ever going to agree on everything 100%. See a lot of overlap here. Stuff I don't really see in a lot of other campaigns, so we're just going to highlight a couple of things here. Um Let's start with your background and probably one of the bigger ones for a lot of people in this area, the endless wars. Uh, you have a very interesting quote here. Bombs and bullets rarely cross borders when goods and services do. Did you think of that or is that from something? Uh, actually, the guy that just had my website for me. We've had lots of conversations and uh, he was able to piece that together for me. Okay. So we see that actually through through trade is better and diplomacy is a whole lot better than continuing with the strong arm of the military that we have. I, I couldn't agree more. So with the um with the year anniversary of our departure from Afghanistan, um in the rear view at this point, um, what are your thoughts on getting out of there? I mean, obviously just based on the platform I can tell you're in favor of it, but just based on your experience in life, I'm not asking you to play Monday morning quarterback, but how do you feel about the departure? Was there any other outcome that was possible? Uh, are you in favor of what we did, not how we did it? Or where do you come down on that? I, I am very, very favorable that we are out of there, and I would be much preferred if we were able to pull all of our troops home from abroad and start worrying more about our, our own country. Um, our military was never meant and intended to be the world's police. Uh, and, and like I had said before, uh, diplomacy and trade is what uh, what's going to actually help bring world peace. Big Vietnam, for example, we lost about 58,000 Americans and over a million Vietnamese, and now today they're one of our biggest trade partners. Why couldn't we have started there? Right. We we and then we continue to perpetuate this 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 endless wars of this that and the other. We finally ended the war in Afghanistan, and now we're already rubbing elbows in Ukraine. And uh, with Russia, we're never going to find world peace if we continue to fund the, the military-industrial complex at the rate that we are doing. It's not that I'm against having uh, military. I think the military is very, very important. Uh, I think we should have a large, strong military and have the resources needed to, to defend our great nation. But what we're seeing right now within the military-industrial complex is just a lot of waste, an exorbitant amount of waste. And uh, that's the way it comes with a hefty price tag uh, to the American taxpayer. And if we don't have any oversight that, that we need, this is how we end up with $300 hammers and $4,000 toilet seats. <laughs> we can't continue to go down this path. It's absolutely absurd. Uh, something particular just within the 8th Congressional District here is the uh, project up at Marinette Marine. Uh, the LCS program up there. I've actually was a pipe fitter up there. I've worked on several of those vessels, and I was able to see firsthand the level of waste that was happening. Uh, the mistakes, they, they built uh, the odd number of vessels up there, and the mistakes that were being made on vessel 7 were still being made on vessel 30. And why are we not learning? Why are we not trying to improve? Uh, on top of that, the, uh, the, the vessel itself was supposed to have a 30-year shelf life, and they're, they're docking them after 10. Uh, there's some major issues with the drivetrain. Uh, that doesn't allow it to last. It has a longevity that it has. It doesn't allow it to be used in the manner it was designed to be used. And when our contractors go back to Lockheed Martin and say, hey, there's a problem here, 
Lockheed Martin replies with, well, it's going to cost about $12 billion just to investigate the problem before we even start to fix it. So the fact that in the normal world, okay, for me on my farm, if we for some reason sell somebody a bad tomato as a business owner, we are giving them a free tomato or asking them to refund their money. We do what we can to make that customer whole, and that's all business except when it comes to the military-industrial complex. When the military-industrial complex, or like Lockheed Martin makes, makes a mistake or has a design flaw, it ends up being we, the taxpayers, that have to pay right. to make that project go again, and that's just not how this is supposed to work. Right. Uh, we have to start getting, we can't talk about the seriousness of inflation without talking about the extraordinary expenses that we have going to the military-industrial complex the last couple of NDAAs and the North American Defense Authorization Act has been more than the commander-in-chief has asked for. Uh, I was trying to wrap my head around that, why that is even a thing. Right, um, yeah. It, it's just, just spend, spend, spend. Well, hey, I and, came across a, a stat uh, last week, which, again, don't be calling in here. I'm not questioning one way or the other whether or not it's a good or bad thing, but I believe the U.S. has already spent $14 billion more in Ukraine than Russia spends on its army for the year. So from February to August, we've already surpassed Russia's military spending, and we're probably not done. I, you're correct. We've already got, what, $50 billion that has gone over to Ukraine now, I believe? I, I had seen all, 80 all. Yeah. Very very possible. Yeah. And, here, and, here's, and, here, and here's the thing, okay? The American people are sick and tired of seeing billions of dollars going overseas while Jackson, Mississippi yes. doesn't have drinkable water. Exactly. Or even Flint, Michigan, okay. man. You can you can stay more local same, even. There's several areas. Same thing. Exactly. Okay. So, and, and that's not just to pick on Ukraine. I mean, we are sending billions of dollars worldwide in foreign aid, and this is all done on the taxpayer's dime. And while we're well, we have families that are having to skip meals to make sure that they have gas to get to work, we're sending their tax dollars abroad. Right. Knock it off. Okay. All right. You and I are there. We're going to, I could keep, I could do this the whole segment, but I have so much more stuff we have to get to. So I'm just going to keep it rolling. Um, Victimless crimes here. Um, You and I overlap quite a bit here. Uh, So you have drug production and possession, uh, minimum drinking age, prostitution, gambling, assisted suicide. None of that should be held criminally liable, correct? That is correct. This is not the place of the government, uh, especially at the federal level. The, The nice thing about running for federal office is I have a very strict guideline to follow. It's called the United States Constitution. Uh, We have the Tenth Amendment that says anything not outlined specifically in this document, those powers are left up to the states. And I want to reiterate, those are powers. States don't have rights. States have presumed powers. Okay, that's through the social contract. Sure. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that we have said illegally at the federal level that just blatantly violates the Constitution. It's not that I'm advocating for these things. I just want our government to function in the manner that it was designed to function, which always leads back to self-governance. Now, when we get to the specific topics like drug usage, okay, I'm not talking about you know, shooting heroin or anything like that. My big thing for me personally is marijuana. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't even have the ability to study it right now because it's still illegal at the federal level. Okay. Right. Psilocybin, mushrooms, that's another thing that we're seeing over in Europe within microdoses 
really helped a lot of guys with PTSD, a lot of veterans with PTSD. Yes, sir. Again, because it's illegal, we are not able to even study it. Okay? So when we start breaking things down into self-governance and, and keeping stuff down at the localities, localities can still choose uh, to deal with uh, drugs within their communities how they choose. I do believe that the taxes that we are currently being taxed to uh, fight drugs should be completely eliminated and that money given back to the people so they have the resources to do what they wish within their own community. Um, that's really what it boils down to, I guess. And, and honestly, just to even dogpile a little bit, just to share my own experience over the weekend, uh, on Friday I went out and bought a cartridge of Delta 8, and on Sunday I was able to bet on whether or not Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott would throw more or less than their projected yards and ended up winning $90. So in a state where weed and gambling are illegal, both of them were very available at the same time. So it almost seems like we're kind of running around in circles here with a lot of these things to the detriment of actual progress. That's how I'm interpreting it. Absolutely. And the big thing that uh, prisons, prisons are a big thing. Uh, prisons actually affect uh, your electoral vote. So prison populations actually count towards your overall state populace to be able to gain the electoral or to add numbers within the electoral college to a bunch of individuals that don't actually get to vote. Okay, that's interesting. I had never heard that. So that's kind of a way of being able to gain the system so that you can get the numbers and get the actual electoral the electoral college without actually having to pander to individuals. Um, another thing that we see more often than not is this is just used as a way to raise funds. So we, the, the trickle-down economics, especially with the war on drugs, is absolutely a joke. It was in 2019, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the top federal agency uh, for dealing with drugs in the United States of America, had a $64 billion budget, $64 billion, okay? Now, the drug trade in the United States of America is estimated to be about $6 billion, and the DEA successfully pulled off the market or 148 or $147 million worth of drugs, which means that the DEA was a little over 1% efficient at doing their job. I'm sorry, that's a bad investment. Okay, cut yeah. the taxes, drastically cut the taxes, get that money back into the hands of the people. Because I can tell you, uh, police chiefs and, and sheriffs have a better idea and a better handle on how to actually address drugs within their own local communities. And, the, and for me, the legalization of marijuana is going to drastically, actually just the decriminalization of it. Sure. You legalize it, there's a lot of times governments are going to tax the crap out of it, and then which means that the street price is still more affordable than the, the price that you're going to get with the dispensary. So stop putting people in jail for it. Decriminalize yeah. it, open it up for medical so you can actually talk with a doctor. When I talk to you, open it up for medical, I mean, if you've stubbed your toe, here's a joint wide open for medical. I mean, we have to be able to... Uh, give people the choice this was sure. a substance that helped me with ptsd this is a substance that helped me get off of a bunch of medications that were being pumped into my system by the va that actually almost cost me my life and i cannot wow. believe we have so many politicians still advocating to keep this illegal and out of the hands especially out of the hands of veterans as if this substance was more dangerous than the combat zone you just sent us to 
hey, uh, you're preaching here. And quite frankly, it's not even the politicians who are actively trying to prevent it. It's also, I mean, realistically, Biden could decriminalize today if he wanted to. He's just not. So, I mean, I totally follow what you're saying there. I almost feel like they're leaving it on the docket. So it is something we can talk about in 2024, which is just disgusting. But um, we're going to keep it rolling here. Uh yeah, um, environment. You were talking about that. So you would prefer the legal system be in charge of making sure we're taking care of our environment as opposed to be getting bureaucracy involved. How I have never heard this suggested before. Now, how in your mind would that look in practice? It looks in practice what I'm currently doing directly on my farm. That's one of the biggest things that we teach is our growing produce organically and regenerative agriculture. Our growing practices, the way that we produce food, is actually one of the driving causes to uh, the environmental damages that we're seeing. So here in the state of Wisconsin, once you get done with a cornfield, we chop the corn off, we leave that bad boy sit most of the time until spring. Throw a cover crop on there, okay? We have farmers that pay thousands and thousands of dollars to have their soil injected with nitrogen, when we have 1,200 pounds of nitrogen above every single acre of land, you just need a cover crop thrown in there to be able to take that nitrogen and naturally take it from the air and put it back into the soil. So it's a whole re-education process on how to take care of the soil, how to better take care of the environment. And that, that in itself is how we start making environmental changes. We can argue all day long about climate change or global warming, whether it's real, whether it's not real. At the end of the day, uh, this is the only planet we have. Unless Elon Musk pulls some crazy stuff and, and, and gets us to another planet. But um, right now, we can do a much better job of taking care of our natural environment. Well, let and, me let me push back on this a little bit here, though, Jake, because I do believe what you're saying and that you believe that because I can tell you're not a greedy person or a selfish person. You're not here to make billions. People that make billions yeah. are here to make billions. And I don't think it's a matter of re-education. That they, they know pouring whatever they're pouring in the water is polluting the water. You know what I mean? But it's the cheapest, most cost-effective way and results in more money for them. So I guess what I'm asking is, if you take the government out of it, I guess we know there's plenty of legal loopholes for the richest of us to get out of. So I guess how would you hold the Bezoses, Musks, and so on of the world? Because that's where over you know the majority of our pollution is coming from the individual can do whatever they can do but at the end of the day we need corporation support for this to work you're, you're absolutely correct and i i couldn't uh couldn't agree with you more and the way that we actually do that is we actually stop supporting those organizations with our dollars okay uh, everyone thinks that the massive uh changes to this country always happen within the ballot box that's not true every single day we vote with our dollar, okay? Your dollar, and that's what happens when you work within a free market, your dollar is just as powerful, more, more powerful than when you vote in a ballot box. I haven't been to Walmart in probably five years now. I don't like the fact that Walmart has the biggest trucking organization in the United States of America and pays next to nothing for a road tax, okay? Yeah. This is why. So. Spend your money wisely. Invest your dollar within the organizations that are actually willing to step up and take advantage, take care of the environment. That's how we make those changes. Holding massive um, or uh, massive organizations and corporations accountable, as long as you hit them in the pocketbook. Hey. That's what they are driving for, 
and that's where you hit them. I dig it. I hope I hope people listen to that. I personally, you're talking to a guy that has never given Jeff Bezos a dollar. I've never bought something off Amazon, and I don't have Amazon Prime. So you're preaching. I get that, but uh, I I I hope it's realistic that the American people will get behind it. But I like where your head's at. Hey, I don't know why we pretended like that we weren't just going to go for the whole hour. Do you could you have time? Can you stick around for one more segment? <laughs> I sure can, but thank All right. You. Yeah, no problem. All right. We're just going to slide you down there. Um, before we get going, Haley Tempest and the American Grand Nina, Nina bring you Made in Wisconsin every other Friday during Focus Fox Valley. Haley will feature unique products produced right here in Wisconsin. Hear the rebroadcast the following Friday during AM Fox Valley. Be sure to catch that. That's a great program. Very cool information. Uh, we're late for a break. We're going to get into that. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up our conversation here with Jacob Vandenplas, the... Uh, House of Representatives candidate for the 8th District for the Libertarian Party. All right, we are back. You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Commoners. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office. Find their offices in Appleton, Green Bay, or Oshkosh, or find them online at hooperlawoffice.com for your elder law and estate planning needs. That's Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. Oh, man. We're in the middle of a conversation here with Jacob uh, Vandenblas, the uh, 8th District House of Representatives candidate for the Libertarian Party. Um... You don't really get a whole lot of coverage for the Libertarian Party on a lot of mainstream media, so I do like to try and bring attention to some of these uh, lesser-known platforms. A lot of great information, a lot of good ideas. Jacob, thank you for sticking around an extra segment with us here. Uh, we're just going to jump right into it here because we have about nine, not even, maybe seven and a half minutes left. So um, let's jump right into uh, your your tax plan here. Now, this one caught me off guard. You and I have been kind of in sync the entire uh way through here for most of it at least but you have the idea here to eliminate federal income tax entirely eventually to phase to that point why don't you uh, give us an idea of what you're what you're thinking there yes yeah, so when it comes to taxes and be able to fund the government and stuff like that like every aspect of government the closer the government is to home the more accountable it is to the people and that's what everybody wants when it comes to regards to our tax dollars is we want accountability so it's not that we are against taxes. Personally, I'm not against taxes. I'm against our taxes being wasted. I would like to see all of our tax dollars brought back down to the local level so we can use those tax dollars to actually build our own communities, have the welfare programs in place to help those in need within my own community, not sending that off abroad. So it's really hard for me to justify utilizing somebody's tax dollars from Wyoming to be able to help those in New York has plenty enough money um, keep our tax dollars back down locally that's how we solve the major problems but so uh, i'm going to push back there again then because I, I do uh, quite frankly that your interpretation of it there is very different than how i read it we actually do sync up pretty well there but um I do look at this as far as state by state. It is kind of a team effort. I mean, I know New York funds several Midwestern states that are struggling to keep their states funded right now, and I'm sure if the rules were reversed, we would need to do it that way. But um, I don't live in New York. I never have. I don't know if they sit there complaining that their dollars go to Kansas or whatever, but at the end of the day, 
um, we're the United States, right? Or would you be? There's no scenario where there you think there should be commingling of funds. If we built it from the bottom up, I could see that. But in order to be able to build it from the bottom up versus the top down that we're seeing right now, we have to bring everything back down local first. So I would see that there are some projects, especially living here in like the Great Lakes region, to where there are some things that we could have Wisconsin. Uh, in Michigan and some other of the Great Lakes states work on and actually share resources. I do see that. It's that it's from the top-down organization of it simply isn't working. That opens up the, bo- the, the, the wall or the door for corruption and bureaucracy to rule over versus if it was built from the bottom up, uh, we can actually do some, do some good with that. Uh, it's collectivism. That's that consent part uh, where it comes into play. So if we did, there has to be consent. Um, but building it from the bottom up. So say for the Department of Education, uh, and I'll go real quick on this. I know we're short short on time. Yeah, you're Um, good. We still have five minutes. Take your time. We're good. Okay. So like right now, Door County, I live in Door County, Wisconsin. We have four different school districts. We have Southern Door, we have Sturgeon Bay, Sevastopol, Gibraltar, and uh, Washington Island, okay? Every one of those schools has an elected school board, people that have been selected by the people, Okay. Each one of those school boards would nominate one individual to go and sit at the county level board. And then that's how they share information and that's how they're able to spread and share resources as well if resources are needed. Now you can take one individual from each of those county boards and they sit at the state level. Again, to be able to help share information because if there's a good program that works in this school, maybe it's working, but it will work well in this school as well. And also again, if there's a funding resource that needs to be taken care of, sure. Uh, and then we can have one individual from the state go sit at the federal level and so on and so forth. But it is built from the bottom up by consent and by individuals that have been selected by the people. Right now, the biggest employer in the United States of America is our federal government. Yes. And it is just rife with bureaucracy. It's not that the, the sharing of funds is bad. It's that how much corruption and bureaucracy is involved. Uh, the good ideas always get squashed by the corruption of bureaucracy. So I think it was Milton Friedman once said, uh, one of the biggest uh, flaws that we have is we judge legislation by its intent versus its result. So when it comes to the taxation and being able to share funds, is it a good idea to be able to do so? I would like to believe so, and I'd like to believe that we could do that one day without the bureaucracy and corruption involved. And I do believe we can get there, but we've got to be able to squash that stuff out first before we can actually do good. Yeah, I, I like where your head's at with that type of stuff. I don't know how realistic it is just because, you know, we're talking about legislating human greed at that point, right? Like, I mean, I, I want to believe there's people that are meant for this job, but it always seems like they never get it. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> That's the struggle of running with a third party to sit. The people that make it into office aren't the ones with the good ideas. The people making it into office are the best fundraisers. So we have an entire legislator that is packed right tight with really good fundraisers with an objective of continuing to raise funds. This is why Congress has a 7% approval rating yet a 93% re-election rating. Okay, because they vote first and foremost for their donors. Then they vote for their party. Then they're going to vote for, for for new donors or to try to drum up new donors. And then we, the people, finally get a say at the end. That's where the right. system is broken. So I, I, we have to be able to get more accountability in this. We, the people, need to have better control of our government. And the best way to do that is to bring all those resources back home. 
once we have control, absolutely, I think we can start expanding that up there. Right, right, right. I honestly, I, I say it's a, it's an equivalency. I think that's the reason why every movie in Hollywood is a remake or a sequel or things like that is because we as people, we just like name recognition. Oh, who's on the ballot? Nancy yeah. Pelosi and Mitch McConnell? Give me that. I've seen that before. You know what I mean? You don't want to take your chance with the politician yeah. you've never heard of. I don't understand why. It's not like things have been good. But exactly, exactly. And one of the biggest things, even the ballot, the way that the ballot is set up, the fact that you could walk into that ballot box and vote straight party line. Right. That's the biggest one of the biggest holdups as well. You're not forced to actually know the candidates that you're voting for. When oh. you can walk in and just vote for a party. I said, I, I think America, I think America's head would explode. But uh, I said you should take the R's and D's off the ballot. I think you have to go in at least at the bare minimum. You should know the name of the person you want to vote for when you get to the booth. Absolutely. I would also add in there, we should put a none of the above vote. If you don't like either of the candidates, you can vote none of the above. <laughs> At least have something, and that's that, that's actually a very very powerful tool. You may have won the race, but none of the above still yeah. have more votes than you. That should be a big sign for the next election running around. But the system is set up; even the ballots are set up in order to favor these two major parties. So when you actually look at this statistically, I, had, I saw a, a poll, a Gallup poll, a while back. It said twenty six percent of Americans identify as Democrat. 28% of Americans identify as Republican, but 46% of Americans actually identify as independent. Independents don't have a vote on that ballot. Okay, this is where uh -huh. the third parties come in. And they continue to squish us out with the rules and regulations and make it even more and more difficult to get on the ballot. Ballot access is a big thing with the Libertarian Party. That's, that's very spot on. We only have about 25 seconds, but I had to register as a Democrat just because I wasn't allowed to participate in any primaries. I wasn't independent my whole life until 2020, so you're preaching there. But hey, Jacob Vandenplast, 8th, 8th District, House of Representatives, Libertarian candidate. Thank you so much for all the time. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me on, and I appreciate all your support. If you'd like more information on the platform, please look me up at jakeliberty2022.com. Uh, thank you all, and have a great day. Thank you, and we will be back. I'll be breaking down this conversation on the other side of the news. Listen outside the box with Ben Kaminos here on WHBY Radio. Outside the box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office. Call Peter Harbaugh and Sarah Cons at 920-250-9959 for your elder law and estate planning needs. That's Hooper Law Office providing a pathway to your legacy. You know, I don't know where I went wrong in life that I'm kind of just as excited as I am about that conversation I just had with Jake Vanderplas, 8th District House of Representatives candidate for the Libertarian Party. I'm just excited about that conversation as I was about football yesterday. I don't know when I got here, but I'm here now. <laughs> and I don't know that there's any turning back, to be perfectly honest. What a good conversation, though. I gotta say, 
Uh, I've been doing media for five years now, a little less than, but right around five years. And finding finding a candidate who can just speak to his or her platform or what he or she believes without any type of notes or forewarning about what the questions are going to be or anything like that. I'll be honest, I had a, I had a series written out here of questions of where it was headed. We barely even got to half of them. Because it was a very organic conversation. You can tell whether or not you agree or disagree with his route to a better idea of what Wisconsin and America could be. At least you know where he's coming down on the issues. There's a ton of people who tell you one thing. They talk out of one side of their mouth. And at the end of the day, they're not getting what what they're saying. Very interesting stuff. I will say, I think he... um, there's quite a bit of overlap here between his platform and, and things that I that we even spoke about last week that I think would lead to a better America, better state, better city, better county. Um, I am interested in what everyone else thinks about what they've been hearing for the past hour. And anyone who missed it, uh, it is available on the WHBY app. You can also go ahead and listen on WHBY.com. I'll have that uploaded within an hour or two after the show. I'm going to move pretty quickly on that. Um but it, I, I think it is important for everyone to hear. There's a lot of information. I feel like third-party candidates, and those are both Libertarian Party candidates and Green Party candidates, and whatever other third party may spring up over the next couple of years, because I think it's going to become very prevalent in the coming in the future. Um, I think it's important that we don't caricaturize what the party stands for. Like I'll be honest, when I was reading his platform there, I thought he wanted to completely feder- do away with federal income tax which to me is kind of a nonsense platform. I have a good friend of mine back home who always said about the Libertarian Party, and I don't know if I agree with him or not, but this is this is capital L Libertarian. Like the people who think that there's we don't need taxes, uh, the, the private sector can take care of every aspect the government can take care of. He would always say that he thinks those type of Libertarians are kind of like house cats. Like anyone, I was never a cat person, he was. Uh, but anyone who has a cat compared to a dog... Um, you know, dogs show you affection. They're like, oh, I'm so happy you're here. Whereas cats are like, you know, I don't need you. You could die tomorrow and I'd be fine over here. But if you didn't feed that cat for two days, now he or she's rubbing up against you like, hey, where's the food? Like that to me kind of sums up the the hardcore libertarian experience. Like I said, the caricaturized libertarian experience. But when you actually talk to people about it, I have a feeling a lot of you were hearing some things that you were hearing for your first time that you didn't necessarily disagree with. 920-821-1150. Tell me what you think about what you just heard. Good stuff. Good stuff. No federal income tax, though, that, that are phasing it out. It's all about accountability, right? If you have accountability, then the tax dollars will go where they need to go. It's like he said, $4,000 for a toilet seat. We know you're not paying 4000 for a toilet seat. What defense contractor got that money? If you're not going to use it the right way, let the people just keep it. They probably will have a better idea. But at the same time, there's some people in this country making way too much and paying no taxes. And that I can't abide either. So it's finding that happy medium. That's why I say progressive libertarian. That's the party I'm trying to start. Just merge the Green Party and the Libertarian Party together, and I think you're on to something at that point. 
I think you're going to have a lot of good ideas, some, some socially conscious people who also are looking out for individual freedoms. I think that is a party that represents where America is today. It is ridiculous that I was able to gamble on the passing yards for quarterbacks yesterday, but I can't place a bet on the actual outcome of the game. I could go to any neighboring state. I'm pretty sure all three states that neighbor us, you can go and buy some weed and go place some bets, and all that tax revenue is going to those states that are within two hours of most of us. All the tax revenue is going there, and the fun is being had there, and then you come back here whenever you don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to do any of those things. Honestly, PA was a very similar setup. Gambling just became legal a couple years ago, but uh, we're so backwards. Our bars still close at two o'clock. I took a picture. I was walking around here in a Target because Pennsylvania is a Commonwealth. I was walking around here in a Target, and I took a picture of a bottle of Jack Daniels at Target. And I said, I, "I'm at a Target right now." It blew my mind. Pennsylvania is very backwards on on booze, social activities in general, legal weed alcohol, all of that. What's a funny story actually is they wanted to build a casino in the 70s in Pittsburgh and the Catholic Church told the Roonies, the Rooney family, the owners of the Steelers were the ones who wanted to build a casino and the Catholic Church said no and they listened. Picture that in 2022. You have all the you have all the paperwork, all the all the clearances, everything you would need to open a casino in your state. And the Pope is like, ah, you probably shouldn't. Probably he's going to bankrupt a lot of people. And the rest of it, and everyone's like, yeah, you know what? They're right. And then didn't do it. To heck with the billions of dollars of revenue that I would, they would be creating for themselves, let alone in tax dollars. Um, <laughs> it just it goes to show you how far we've come in just 50 years and a half a century. How different our, our perception is of things like this. But at the end of the day, if this is the land of the free... You should be free to do the things you want to do as long as it's not hurting anybody, which seems like one of the basic tenements of libertarianism. Do what you want. Don't impede the freedoms of other people. I, so That should be on a sign somewhere. That should just be, that's like the keep hands, feet, and objects to yourself in elementary school. That is the, the saying that I think everybody gets behind. He had a couple other things that we didn't get a chance to get into. Um... He was talking about public versus private transportation. Um, I'm not familiar enough with what private or public transportation looks like here. I do know that Uber is a private transportation company that keeps jacking its prices up every year and not paying their employees enough money. How do I know that? Because I work for Uber. So I'll tell you right now, trash company. The idea of trying to shift all public transportation to private is never going to work because those companies will take advantage of the system. I don't know what goes into server maintenance, but I can't imagine it's so much that you can't afford to pay your drivers a living wage. There's almost no overhead to that company, and yet they tell you they can't find a way to pay their employees wages or health care or let them get stock options or anything. Just drive the car and be quiet. Meanwhile, we're running school bus co uh, commercials here saying $23 an hour. So there is an answer to this. Granted, they can't find people to fill those roles, but that's a, that's a whole other topic. We're talking about public versus private transportation. Eh, seems like the blend of two is probably the best case. <laughs> this 
This is going to be a really interesting. We're what eight weeks away from tomorrow, right? This is going to be a really interesting eight week period. I I'll be reaching out to the other congressional candidates, both in the eighth district and all over the state. This is hopefully going to be the place where a lot of people feel comfortable getting their message out there, talking about their plans for the future. Because even after election season ends, that's just it. I think a lot of political junkies care so much about these races while they're happening, not really care so much about what happens once they're in, because it's time to move on to the next batch of people running for their offices. That's not what's going to happen here. We're going to try and get in touch with everybody running, and we're going to stay in touch with the people that win and lose for that matter. And we're going to continue to see the progress that gets made on a variety of different subjects, including some of which that we just talked about today. We didn't even get a chance to get into gun restrictions, like I talked about transportation. Um, we barely scratched on the environment. How about this? One of the key points of his platform is uh, he wants term limits. He wants House of Representatives can run for two-year terms. He said he wants eight years worth of limits for for. House of Representatives to sync up with the president and then two six-year terms for senators and then you're out. It's impossible to get people currently in the system to go along with that because you're saying, hey, fire yourself. They'll never do that. We're only going to get this from the outside. We need enough people thinking this way to get to that point. Lifetime politicians were never in the cards whenever the Constitution was written up. No one thought someone would want to do this. Because it was actually looked at as a public service. It wasn't an opportunity to pad your pocketbook. It was an opportunity to develop America in the way that you thought it should be getting developed. I always say, I don't think I've talked about this yet on the air here, but America, you have to look at America like a small business. Like when the great-grandfather starts a small business, he has nothing but the best of intentions. This is my business. I've started it from the ground up. This is going to do X, Y, and Z in this industry, and it's going to be great. For America, it was going to provide the freedoms, no taxation without representation. You can own land. They had all these ideas. But similar to a small business, with every generation that you move away from the original founder, the vision starts to become a little skewed. What I'm saying there is, so let's say the great-grandfather opens the business. The grandfather sees what his grandf- what his dad did and is like, I like 80% of what you did, but I think I can expand the company here, here, and here. And the father would always say, well, that'll sacrifice the quality of the product. We can't do that. And then the grandfather would bite, bite his tongue until his dad passed away. Then he would implement all the changes that he had been talking about his entire life. So now that guy's son, the great-grandfather's grandson, is now looking at his dad, seeing the system he has, and he's like, oh, well, if you do that, then I can do X, Y, and Z, and we can really make some money, but our customers are going to suffer. But you're now removed from the original creation of that business, two generations. So you don't know what went into starting it. You don't know what the vision was. You don't know how people had it when that company was created. Then that guy has a kid. Now you're three generations removed. He was probably born into wealth and privilege and doesn't care about anything. That's the kid who ends up waiting for his dad to pass away and then sells the company for scraps to make a quick buck and fires everybody and says, well, stuff happens. That's where we are in America right now. We are in the stuff happens portion. We need to turn that around. And the only way to do that is with term limits. Keep it fresh. Because the longer you're in the system, the quicker, the long, the easier it is to find holes in the system that you can poke 
and change it to your benefit. And that's what we're seeing now. You're seeing people campaign on inactivity. What's her name in um in Arizona? Uh, Kirsten Cinema actively re- like voted against lowering prescription drug prices and then put out a campaign ad that these prescription drug prices are so high, what are we going to do? There was an option, Kristen, Kirsten, however you say your name. You, you ignored it. And then the longer you're there, the more she's going to succeed there, doing things like that. That's enough of my thoughts on that for the day. Like I said, we'll be reaching out to other Congress people, senators, everybody running for everything. I'm going to give you guys an idea of what all of our candidates are really thinking. Um, when we come back, there's a couple other stories going on in the news that I found very interesting. Uh, interesting might not be the best word. Uh, there's a couple of different casting decisions that have the movie-going audience and TV-watching audience up in arms. And it's just the 57th time we're going to just dive down this childish conversation again about casting different people for different roles. You'll see what I'm talking about on the other side of the break. You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Cominos here on AM Back to Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos. WHBY Big Deals is going green with Toro and Evergreen Power. Thursday, September 15th, Big Deals is putting on a Go Green battery-powered package on the auction block. That'll include a Toro 60-volt PowerMax snowblower and Flex Force lawnmower. That's not all, though. You also get to select cordless yard tools, attachments, and so much more. This is a value of over $3,500, guys. Online bidding begins Thursday, September 15th. That's this Thursday, September 15th at 6 a.m. And the winning bid awarded at 6 p.m. Head to whby.com and click on the Big Deals button for more information. $3,500 worth of lawn equipment. That'll set you up for the next decade, I'd say. That's quite the deal. I no longer own my place. I mean, I still do own my place, but I don't live there. So whoever's living there now is taking care of lawn maintenance. I work in an apartment, or I live in an apartment complex now, and they 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 handle the grass. I can't tell you, I am happier than a clam not mowing the grass. I know a ton of people find it like soothing, and that's like how they unwind. I have always hated it. I've I've never been a fan of it. I sneeze a lot. It's it's just not a good experience. Um, if you want to comment on any of the conversations that we had here uh, with the Libertarian Party talking about libertarianism, the House of Representatives in general, voting third party, 920-821-1150. I'd love to know what you think. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to keep it rolling here. Uh, you know, my 35th birthday is a week from Wednesday, and I'm, I'll be having an existential crisis about that the closer we get to it. Um <laughs> You know, it's those, it's those on the fives, you know, five and, and zero, those are the crippling ones. Heck, whenever I turn 30, that's whenever I quit my job and started the whole radio thing. So it's a good thing this hit before I turned 35, or I probably would have stopped this and like started working at NASA or something. 
Yeah, I'm sure that would have been the next step. What other unrealistic goal could I try and achieve here? Let's go to space. But I'm going to turn 35 next Wednesday. So, obviously, it's important to me that we talk about casting decisions in the new Little Mermaid remake. Because as a 35-year-old man, this is obviously what I care about. And what so many other people care about on the internet, based on what I'm reading, I kind of feel like maybe you might be lying to yourselves here. Maybe you might not be acknowledging there might be some other factors at play here, other than your deep-seated anger about the casting woman of The Little Mermaid. Here's a quote. After an extensive search, it was abundantly clear that Hallie, this is um, Hallie Bailey, I'm sure I'll call her Hallie Barry at least once, but Hallie Bailey possesses the rare combination of spirit, heart, youth, innocence, and substance, plus a glorious singing voice. All intrinsic qualities necessary to play the iconic role. And this is all quoted from the director, Rob Marshall. And the author of this piece said, couldn't agree more. What's the issue with this casting decision, you ask? Well, she's a person of color, cast to be Ariel. <gasps> oh no. It's falling apart. Guys. Guys, it's all falling apart. Ariel's being played... Not by a white redheaded girl. And the internet handled it exactly how you would assume the internet would handle it. Here we go. She's beautiful and can sing for sure, but I sure don't see Ariel. I've always loved The Little Mermaid and have been anxiously awaiting a live action remake. However, I'm disappointed by this choice. She's a beautiful girl and I'm sure she's got a pretty voice, but I just don't see her as Ariel. Also, scuttle voiced by a woman is just weird. This was a remake I wanted to see the most with a bunch of unhappy faces. To be honest, this is kind of a disappointment. Little Mermaid was one of my favorite Disney movies. Well, hope she can pull it off. This is my all-time favorite Disney movie. It's extremely important to cast people who look like and resemble these characters. Very disappointed. I was really looking forward to this movie and now I'm bummed. And then of course there were a couple of less su subtle uh, response is like, I don't want to be rude, but Ariel was white. <laughs> Coming from a guy, Raul Esparza, who looks like he's in his mid-twenties, talking about the Little Mermaid movie, the Disney movie for children, this guy's upset about. And I hate to break it to him, but like, I haven't done a deep dive into this actress, but I'm like 90% sure she's also not a mermaid. Like, is everyone going to be okay with this? <laughs> She's got legs. She can't hold her breath underwater. What kind of casting decision was this? People say they're colorblind when it comes to racial issues, but lose their minds when their beloved cartoon character is redone in brown skin. This is people coming out uh, in favor of what she said. <laughs> people go on talking about how uh, they just focus on the redhead aspect of it. Are you kidding me? Ariel has red hair and blue eyes. I'm so against it. This was my favorite Disney movie, and now I'm just super upset. Like, And what stinks most of all, and I actually retweeted this on my Twitter page. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. It's at Ben Cominos. That's C-O-M-I-N-O-S. It's just Domino's with a C. I retweeted it on my Facebook and Twitter uh, it's like a compilation of a bunch of young black girls seeing the trailer for this movie and their eyes just lighting up. 
Like, a little bit of cultural context isn't going to kill anyone, all right? A lot of our works of art that are being remade now as movies, a lot of them came out at times when all the leads were white, right? So to say, like, well, it wasn't, I mean, really think about it. Name me outside of Morgan Freeman's character, Lucius Fox, who is a black person in Batman. Batman. Name me a black villain. Think about it for a second. Why aren't there any? Because Batman was invented in 1939, guys. It was a little bit of a different time back then. So to apply that type of logic, does that mean that Batman's not one of the highest grossing films of all time? Of course it's going to be. So the option is stick to the very race-themed issues in the 40s and 30s or adjust for the future. And quite frankly, in the most recent Batman, both Commissioner Gordon and Catwoman were played by people of color, and I really didn't hear a lot of complaints. They both did fantastic jobs. It's not just Little Mermaid either. I'm not a big Lord of the Rings guy, and as I mentioned earlier in the show, I don't have Amazon Prime. But this Lord of the Rings show that kind of just looks like a ripoff of Game of Thrones, but this Lord of the Rings show is taking a ton of heat because it had African Americans playing hobbits. And everyone's losing their minds saying hobbits can't be black people. Now, again, I don't know enough about the source material to actually like, to know whether or not that's true based on the book. But as I established, the book was written in the 1800s. Like, black people had escaped, like, stopped being slaves like 25 years before the books were written. So maybe that's not the best time to be judging stuff like that. But not only that, there's tons of... People now like this is out of my wheelhouse. These are experts on Tolkien. Tolkien describes the Harfoots as browner of skin than other hobbits. So I think anyone grumbling is either racist or hasn't read Tolkien. The mileage may vary. And it's a very interesting way to look at it once you start to hear that. Because if this is all written, these people are quoting the book, and the people who are angry about it are quoting the book as well. Someone responds to that person clearly he meant tanned or even more Mediterranean in, in complexion. The guy responds, Tolkien says they were browner of skin, not that they spent longer time in the sun. This is what's so interesting about this. Is it seems like there's plenty of source material that says that this is fine. And people are losing their minds in 2022. How did we go backwards in time? I'm going to reference Batman again. 1989. The Michael Keaton Batman. The one that, like, one of the first movies I remember watching. Billy D. Williams was casted as Harvey Dent, two-faced to the uninitiated. <laughs> he played Harvey Dent, and there was no outcry. In 1989, they casted a traditionally white character as a black guy. No one cared. Not one person reacted. And now everyone loses their mind over a children's story. I realize Batman's for kids too, but there are also darker tones that I think allow for adults to continue watching it. Maybe that's just something I tell myself, but I believe that. How have we gone so far backwards since 1989? To be perfectly honest, I think it was the invention of the internet. If the internet had been around when that movie came out, I think people would have lost it. But any type of gripes people might have had, you would have had to go through the newspaper to find it. Who's going to do that? <laughs> Think about it. That movie casted Billy D. Williams as Two-Face. They had the guy that played Mr. Mom as Batman, 
and they completely changed Batman's origin story in the movie. And people look at that as one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. And if you did even one of those things in a movie today, people would absolutely lose it. They would absolutely lose it. I don't know if I have a grander point here other than grow up. <laughs> um, and also, to act like this only goes one way, there's a lot of people, especially with the Tolkien example, the uh, Lord of the Rings example, saying, um, oh, you know, everything's all well and good, but I bet you if we had... Uh, if we were replacing white people with Asian people, or I'm sorry, if we were replacing Asian people or black slaves with white people, you'd be losing your mind. Ben Kingsley played Gandhi in 1982, and he won an Academy Award. So we don't need to deal in, in speculation or hypotheticals. We just know it already happened, and no one would care, at least in the 80s. It was done all the time. So let's stop acting like this is some kind of new phenomenon. That being said, I have a feeling this Little Mermaid movie is going to be awful. <laughs> None of those live-action remakes. I haven't watched any of them, but I'm, I've heard nothing but bad things about any of them. That's enough of that. When we come back, Haley Tempest will be in, breaking down what she's got on her show, and we're going to be saying goodbye. Stick around. We'll be here back right after the break. All right, one more segment here with Outside the Box with Ben Commoners. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office. Find their offices in Appleton, Green Bay, or Oshkosh, or find them online at hooperlawoffice.com for your elder law and estate planning needs. That's Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. And I am joined in studio by Miss Haley Tenpass. How are you today? Good morning, Ben. I'm doing okay. All right, fantastic. How the uh, have you checked your fantasy team yet? Things looking good or bad? So I'm holding a I'm holding a lead. I won't say a steady lead right now, and okay. I'm hoping my opponent doesn't score more than 13 points tonight. Oh yeah. Uh, so we will see. It'll be a really close call. Neither of us scoring too high, but my running back Derek Hen Henry not really uh, oh. any big games yesterday. Don't I, I was bragging for a week about getting Najee Harris in the 11th pick, and he did not show up at all yesterday. <laughs> so I 100% understand. I'm losing by 30. I need Melvin Gordon to score 30, so I don't think it's happening. Well, and then I had, you know, to any Bears fans out there, I had I have the 49ers defense, which was looking so promising. <laughs> I'm thinking this is going to go great. And then, uh, no, when yeah. it rains, it pours, apparently. No, not tell so, me about it, not literally so much. and figuratively. You see the video of the guy who was the 49ers fan sitting in a very un... <laughs> <laughs> sitting in a very <laughs> tough spot in the stadium <laughs> where uh, the rain is just pouring down oh, on him. Yeah. Like th there must have been a crack in something and it's just, it, and he's pretending to eat his popcorn. It's it's, it's actually <laughs> pretty I'm funny. I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah, That's very good. funny. That's very funny. Uh, before we get into your show, yeah. I just did a whole segment on uh, the live action Disney remakes. Yes. And like, I am going to be 35 next week, so I'm not the demographic they're going for here. That was kind of Are the point. Are you sure? I don't know. I don't know. I think these are speaking to the millennials a little bit. I think there might be a little bit to that, maybe. But I, I don't I don't think I can go and watch that one by myself. They know that we'll bring our kids. That's just it. The kids is what makes it okay for everyone. It's as, as one of the non-breeders, then I, I can't show up, you know? You certainly could, but... Disney Plus makes it available in what six months, anyways, so you can right. see it then. Right. I we like some of the remakes. We were kind of chatting beforehand. Um, the one that we maybe watched the most, if I can even say, because I can't, 
I don't think we've watched any of them more than two two or three times, the yeah. live action remix. The cartoon classics, Lion King is played at least twice a week in my house. I mean, <laughs> we are, my son is a huge Lion King fan. But the live action one, a little bit. Okay. A little bit scary. I, I believe For him that. And, for, and for our daughter, so we don't really watch that one. My favorite movie of all time is Beauty and the Beast. So I have watched the Emma Watson version. Oh, half a dozen times just because I that's my favorite film. And you, so you're not a purist then. You're good with with the live action one. You're like, "Oh no, this is fine." I think anytime you can reimagine or bring life into something and watch it again for the first time almost, maybe in a different level is yeah. kind of special. You can never watch a movie for the first time again, right? But you sort of can when it's done this way. way yeah so yeah it was i was very excited when that film came out nice. and then yeah. you get older you realize gaston's actually the good guy and you're like man i'm so torn uh, i don't know i don't know if i uh, really think about it really think about I that movie for about a second. That one. i don't know he about was that educated one. he had a job he was just worried there was a monster outside that had captured a woman from the city from the outside uh -huh. he thought he was being a good person he was a bad dude but he thought he was doing the right things yeah. it's very interesting i think i'm blinded by the misogyny so i don't know <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> he was eating five dozen you'll, have eggs. A, you'll have a hard time convincing okay. me otherwise. Right, we did that fair. musical though in high school. It was a lot of fun. I played one of the silly girls. Oh, nice. Who fawned over Gaston. So nice. Maybe. You got to do a Disney song as a we were doing like the old school like fiddler and stuff like that. You got to do Disney. My freshman year they did Foot Fiddler. Okay. Sophomore sophomore year they did uh Beauty and the Beast. Junior year they did My Fair Lady and my senior year we did Music Man. Nice. So yeah. Nice. So one more. Are you guys excited for the Little Mermaid one or no? Are you going to be catching that one or is that one? I wouldn't mind seeing it. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing it at all. You know, it's funny. The trailer has been popping up a lot on social media and on TikTok. I'm seeing a lot of people showing um, their daughters watching it. And in this particular case, the representation that sure. is meaning so much to the BIPOC community to mm -hmm. see Ariel, uh, a black Ariel, is is really special. So to see the representation and to see these little girls just beaming and saying, Mama, she looks like me, it makes you a little choke up a little bit. I love to see it. I, I love was to just, see it. You can yeah. tell she was working on her, on her own show last segment. I just was talking about how I retweeted I, that I video. Didn't, I didn't I, see, I, I didn't I see it. Listen, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, when I saw it, like I, I'm not gonna say like I because you know got to be tough, but like it was a heart tugging video to watch. 100. Like, because they looked bored, and then all of a sudden you see that moment that in moment. their eyes, mm -hmm. and it's freaking awesome. You'd love to see it. Yeah, no doubt. All right, well that's enough digression there. You <laughs> I'll talk Disney all day. I love this <laughs> Disney segments on month. That's great. <laughs> you, yeah, right. Hey, don't, don't get me going. But apparently you have a show coming up after I do. this. So why yes. don't we talk about that? Sure. All okay. right. We've got uh, once a month we bring you a partnership with Fox Communities Credit Union. It's bringing it to you straight, straight answers to your financial questions. And today is a really good one for any parents out there with college kids, with high schoolers, even middle schoolers. Listen up. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the financial responsibilities that college students face. And I'm thinking if you can listen as a parent to middle schoolers or high schoolers, these are things to maybe start prepping your kids for, you know, I think back to my first years of college, I, I actually remember applying for financial aid with my dad and, you know, going through all that paperwork and talking about my own credit card or, you know, my, my own accounts and everything. And they're conversations you need to have with your kids because they'll, they head off to college and there's also not all of a sudden not mom and dad there to right. kind of bail you out in some cases. So 
We'll talk about some of the smart things you can do um, as a parent to help kind of make sure your kids are set up for success. And then we always wrap up the show with our fraud focus uh, during Bringing It To Straight. And Heidi Keeker is back, of course. We're going to talk about some of the scams out there that are unfortunately taking advantage of student loan forgiveness. I was going to wait for you to stop. And I was going to say, I've gotten four phone calls in the last week. My school loans have been paid off for years. So I know I'm not eligible. Yes. And I will get these calls regularly. So we're going to talk about that. Heidi will have some examples for us. Maybe Uh, Ben can weigh in a little bit. Oh my God. (laughs) It's unfortunate. I was so, like if I didn't, I just, if I hadn't paid it, I would have totally bought into what was going on. They seem official. I believe it. Oh my God. It's disgusting what they're doing. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. Uh, And uh, that's our first hour of the show. Hour number two. The Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region joining us. We're going to talk more about converting complex assets into charitable dollars. All right. So maybe you have some real estate that you've come into, or perhaps you have um, some retirement assets or life insurance. We're going to talk further about how these, again, complex assets can be converted into charitable This is a little bit over my head. So we're going to have Michelle in to talk all the details. And I will just be asking the questions because uh, I'm sure many people listening might be in the situation. So some good information coming at you from the Community Foundation. And then finally, we're going to wrap up the show checking in with Apricity. And this organization, of course, they provide those impacted by substance use disorders uh, so many different services of care, treatment, employment, and support services. And it's also National Recovery Month. So Michelle's going to talk with us a little bit about how they are working, walking step-by-step, hand-in-hand with these who are on that road to recovery and how those in recovery, they're everywhere. They're people we know, they're people we're seeing, they're people we're passing, and how we can support those who are on that journey as well. So a busy show yeah, to kick off your Monday. No doubt. And I love hearing, sto- well, I don't love hearing stories like that because it's obviously hardship for a ton of people, but it seems like we're finally, quite frankly, about time, but we're finally on the same page where we're looking at this as the illness it is and trying to find solutions mm-hmm. instead of uh, stigmas and all that. And I know, I mean, I'm just moving out to the Midwest. People conflate western pa with the mid some people say we're east coast some people say we're midwest opioids are everywhere it's every state it's everywhere yeah it's an epidemic uh but yeah apricity hopefully with some great insight for all yeah. of us today you know yeah that's fantastic on a lighter note i was laughing about your first segment getting uh kids involved in banking so i had to hook my venmo up to be able to pay for this fantasy league sure and something i really don't use venmo that often because normally i'm just in a position to give people whatever they need so I'm there trying to set it up, and for some reason I'm not set up the right way. And it says, we're going to text your number to make sure that it's you. And the number they have for me on file, because the number associated with my bank, is the home phone that I grew up with, because that's how long ago I set up my bank account. And I'm like, okay, that phone hasn't existed for 20 years, and I'm sure it doesn't take text. So it's important to get that stuff going early, even if you're not paying attention to it after. It is. Fact, and, apparently. you know, kids today have, have you know, their access to their bank accounts at their fingertips, right. something we didn't have 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so there's a lot of tools, I think, that students and kids can utilize if done correctly. Um, but, yeah, get that, get that account oh, information yeah. figured out there, Ben. I can only imagine. Like, it's, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine parenting. I feel like you're parenting in an entirely different world than what we grew up in. Like, we couldn't just access, play play a phone, a game on your phone and be like, $5 for more whatever. Be like, oh, yeah, fine. 
the one the one example that I think of so much is yeah the use of the iPad and we don't we're not big we're not big electronics family yet I'm, it might be coming from me parents right. who are going oh you just wait it probably <laughs> is coming for us but right now our kids are pretty good but I'll tell you what uh, when you're in those situations where the kids are melting down and it's in right. a public place like what do you do and right. you're able to just kind of give that iPad o- over to them and let them just kind of zone in. Man, it makes you wonder yeah. what our parents did <laughs> you, <laughs> 25 years ago for us. Yeah, oh my exactly. Goodness. You were saying to me it's off the It's such a air, benefit, yeah. You were like, oh, yeah, we don't really watch that movie. We might see it twice a week. Like, I grew up when you got a movie. That was the movie you were getting for the month, and you just watched it over and over and over again. Now with streaming services, it's like, find something and leave me alone, please. <laughs> I'm sure there's Some something. Mo- there's for sometimes you, to watch. you get to that moment. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> no, but that's very interesting stuff. That's going to be a good show. I, I, that's that's awesome setup. It's lighthearted, especially after a not great sports Sunday. I don't want to talk about it, Ben, yeah. but uh, this happened to us last year, and I have a feeling now Rogers has a little fire lit under him, so we'll see. Yeah, and think? a fresh haircut, too. Yeah, he was looking clean shaven. Looking pretty clean shaven. I will say, I mean, obviously I like him better than our former quarterback just because, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has his history. But I really, Aaron Rodgers rubs me the wrong way. I'm going to be honest. The way he carries himself, I I don't like it. I I feel like he doesn't care and it bothers me. Like I want him to pull it together. I just started pulling for this team a week ago. So it's time. (laughs) It's time. (laughs) I want a Steelers attitude here. Okay, please. Hey, I don't know. It's I've, I've been an, I've grown up always having a Packers team. Be who, good. That's good. Yeah. So I, I've got nothing to say, but thank you, Aaron Rodgers, for playing the way you have. Yeah. And I've got confidence that he'll pull it together. Yeah, Two-time you're probably MVP, right. He'll pull it together. I can almost guarantee you Green Bay will finish higher than Pittsburgh when the year's over. I can I can say that almost wholeheartedly. So, we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Hey, good stuff, Haley. She'll be on in like four minutes. It'll be good. All right. Thanks for that. Um, before we get rolling here, I did want to touch on one more story really quickly. On Friday, I had mentioned that it's important that we try and handle the passing of Queen Elizabeth with a little bit of grace, um, while also acknowledging that there are people with it, with other backgrounds, other histories, other outlooks to what happened, and we need to be respectful of that as well. Um It's a very fine line to walk and very difficult to do. Uh, However, this is whenever it makes it difficult to get to that point. So I'm sure a lot of you heard this. This is actually a local story for me back home. Uju Anya, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She's a Carnegie Mellon professor. Um, And she put out a tweet saying, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. Regardless of the validity of the first half of that statement, the second half there's no place for in modern society. I'm just going to be honest. I get she's mad. Definitely shouldn't have worded it that way. And then what you open the door for whenever you do that is comments like this. This is supposed to be someone working to make the world better? I don't think so. Wow. Who said that? Jeff Bezos. The guy who maybe solely is, no one is working more towards ruining this country more than that individual. With wealth inequality, the way he treats his workers, monopolization of multiple different industries across the Amazon umbrella. He's a monster. And he can now comment from a place of actually being right about something. And it's kind of hard to dunk on him. 
I'm just going to be honest with you. It's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, what's this guy doing to fix the world? Like, leave this woman alone. He's right. She shouldn't have said something that over the top, especially in her position. It's interesting. There's a, there's a letter here from, or a statement from Carnegie Mellon. We do not condone the offensive and objectionable messages posted by Professor Today on her personal social media account. Free expression is core to the mis mission of higher education. However, the views she shared absolutely do not represent the values of this institution. She's clearly being shown a little bit of favoritism here. I think a lot of other people would have been fired for doing this because free speech is not protected by your job. It is protected from the government. Those are two very different things. So the idea that CMU is hiding behind that, I think, is a little bit of a false equivalency. We can go into that a little bit more tomorrow here. Um, fantastic show today. Thanks again for the Libertarian candidate, Jacob Vandenplas, for coming out today. Um, a lot of good information. We'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks for coming Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos.